0: Psalm 86, um, Dwayne read it as part of the call to worship. and so we've got about 17 verses and just uh, give you a little bit of background of what's going on here before we dig into it is this is written by King David and this is a prayer that he is praying to God. And I find it to be a really encouraging prayer um, because the situation is he's troubled. He's in a bind and he is requesting help from God to go before him and to help him. But he does it in a way I think is a little bit non-typical of a lot of times how we pray to God. And so I'm encouraged to share that with you and to just dig into what God's word has for us. So let's go ahead and pray. Would you pray with me and then we'll start. Ah, Heavenly Father, we're super grateful for every single person here today. We are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you gave this to us to teach us how to be more like you, Jesus. I pray that that's exactly what will happen today. God, may we be more like you. May we learn your ways. May we be like David when he asked, uh, he says, God, will you teach me your ways? May we do the same thing. Um, We just ask for help. I ask for help today. I pray that um, your word will be communicated. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we have these 17 verses here in Psalm 86, and we're going to kind of break them into three parts. So the first part, which is the first uh, seven verses, is David praying to God. But all intertwined in this prayer is him praising and thanking God for who he is. And I kind of think of this as David is like establishing the posture of his heart as he comes before a holy God and he's asking for help. The second section, which would be in verses 8 through 13, is David continuing this thought process of praising God. But then he actually steps aside from the situation at hand and he asks God to teach him to walk in his ways. And I find that just like super, like almost like atypical. Like he's in the midst of this problem and then he just takes a step back and says, God, teach me to be like you. I find that so encouraging. And then our final section of verse 14 through the end, um, we actually finally get to hear what the issue is, what David is dealing with. And he specifically mentions the problem at hand, and then he asks for help. But then he goes right back to praising God for who he is. So that's where we are headed today. So if you want to, if you got your Bibles with you, turn to Psalm 86. And we're going to go ahead and read those first seven verses. Verse 1, chapter 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. David is earnestly asking God, will you answer me? He's asking for God's help. But if you look at the posture of his heart here, he states some things that he is, but then he also states so much of what God is. So if we look at who David is, and we kind of take these seven verses, these are, this is what he claims. He says, I am poor and needy, he says, I am godly, which that might sound like, well, it doesn't sound very humble. He's saying, "Oh, I'm godly. Um, but if you look into like the Hebrew and you look back what he's essentially saying is, God, I am yours. He's like, I am yours, God. That's what he means when he says, I am godly. So he's saying, I am poor and needy. God, I am yours. He says, I'm crying out for help. He says he's pleading for grace. And he says he's in a day of trouble. So he's putting himself in a position of, in his heart saying, I need you, God. And then in the same seven passages, we see him claim who God is. He says, God, this is who you are. He says, you are my God. He says, you are good and forgiving. He says, God, you are abounding in steadfast love to all. He says, God, you are a listening God and you are an answering God. So the posture of his heart is, this is who I am and God, this is who you are. That's super encouraging. But I want to look a little bit deeper into verse 3 and then in verse 6. We see this idea of grace. David says in verse 3, "Be gracious to me, O Lord." And then in the end of verse 6, he says, "Listen to my plea for grace." David brings up this term, this idea of grace because he's realizing in the situation that he's in, which we're going to learn about a little bit later, he needs God's grace. He knows that he doesn't deserve God's help, and he actually acknowledges that in verse 5. If you look, he says, you are good and forgiving. He realizes that he needs forgiveness. He's a sinner just like the rest of us. He needs forgiving, but he acknowledges that, and he says, God, I need your grace. So what is grace? I think that's something we need to spend a little bit of time talking about what grace is. And I'm actually going to use the definition that Pastor Chris shared with us, I don't know, maybe four five, six months ago, because I think it's important to like all be on the same page. And so I really not, I thought it was a great definition. It kind of like, I feel, to me at least, it stretched my brain a little bit. So we're talking about grace. And a lot of times we mix up uh, mercy and grace and we kind of blend them together and they absolutely go hand to hand, but they are two separate things. So I remember Chris up here, like I said, a few months ago, and he used this analogy of a young man, a child, who intentionally does something wrong. So think of like in a parent situation, um, the boy, let's say mom's got this beautiful vase, and she just loves that vase, and the boy, you know, because children are perfect, right? The boy goes and toof, knocks over that Base and intentionally breaks it. I think that's the key there, intentional. The boy chooses to do wrong. And we're gonna tie this into our hearts and our sin, by the way. But the idea that the boy intentionally breaks the vase. And we would all say, if you know, as parents, that, well, he earned discipline. Because so that's, you know, and that can be, I know we all discipline different ways. Some might say you earned a spanking, might earn a timeout. That, that doesn't matter. The idea is, is that he intentionally sinned, he intentionally did wrong, and he earned a consequence. But mercy is where the parent would step in and say, you know, I'm not going to spank you. I'm not going to put you on timeout, whatever that might be. And then grace, and then, like I said, this rap my head just, I couldn't wrap around this for a while. Grace is where the parent said, you know, instead, here's a piece of cake. I remember when Chris preached that, I was like, what? Like that doesn't, that just, it's hard to understand. But when you think of our faith and you think of what Jesus did for us and what God did through Jesus, we can actually tie into that because you and I choose to sin every day. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. And because we have a just God, we earn the consequence, and we see also in Romans that for the wages of sin is death. So what do we earn from our sin? We earn death. The consequence is eternal punishment. But this is where mercy comes in. Remember, God is a God of justice. He doesn't just turn a blind eye to our sin. There has to be a consequence for our sin. But instead of that consequence landing on us, it lands on Jesus, where we have Jesus who lived this perfect sinless, holy life, and yet he was crucified, he was murdered, and he took our punishment. So that's the mercy that God shows us through Jesus. And then the grace is where now God says, come to me, I will provide you eternal life. I'm going to give you an eternity in heaven with me. That is grace. It's getting the opposite of what we actually deserve. We, because of our sin, we deserve death. But God says, I'm going to show you life. I'm going to show you mercy. And your consequence, I'm putting on my perfect son, Jesus. That's the gospel that we preach here. That is, that's the flag that we wave. Like that is everything here, the gospel. That is Jesus. So that is saving grace, the, the core of our faith. Saving grace that Jesus took our place. But I don't think grace ends there. I think Grace continues. I think there's also what I would consider sustaining grace. And I'm sure there's way more examples of grace. I don't want to put grace in a box. But I would like to say from when I think about this, there's that saving grace, but then there's also sustaining grace. And that is that day in and day out grace that God shows us because we continue to sin. If you were to look in, we don't have time to really go into it deeply, but in Romans 7, starting in verse 7, Paul, Apostle Paul, who wrote that, you know, writer of a, many books of the Bible, he talks about his inner wrestling with sin. And, you know, and this, is the guy who, this is the guy who's writing the Bible. So you know, we'd consider him to be like, oh yeah, he's a good guy, but guess what? He still struggles with sin. And he talks about this inward battle of going back and forth saying, boy, you know what I, what I, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I, what I do, I hate what I do. And then he just goes on to talk about, he says, what a wretched man am I. But then he goes, at the end of that passage, he goes, but thanks be to God. Because God delivers him through that. God shows him grace. I love the passage where Jesus actually talks about this as well in John 1. John 1, 16, he says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. How much grace is it that when we know what's... Now, once you're a believer and we've accepted that saving grace, that we still continue to sin. Essentially, God could say, well, you know better. I saved you. But God doesn't do that. He continues to show us grace that while we are yet sinners, he is still there for us. He died for us and he continues to show us grace. That's the God that we serve. And that's the God that David is writing about here. When he's saying, God, be gracious to me, he said, listen to my plea for grace. David knows in his heart, he knows who he is before God. He knows that God is holy and that he's not. And he's saying, God, in this situation, in my life as a whole, I need your grace. So we have to ask the question then, as we get to this next section, how and why can David be confident that God is a gracious God? How can he know? He hasn't asked this thing. He say, God, I need, I need your grace. But he's confident that God is a gracious God in order for him to say that. And how is that? How can he be confident that this prayer that he's praying and that his request that he is making are going to be heard by God. Well, let's go ahead and read these next section of verses, or verses 8 through 13, and let's get the answer. David says in verse 8, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. David knows who God is. There's no I think here. Did you see that? Let's see, it's the verse uh, 10. He says, you alone are God. I love that verse. Nothing else compares to God. David's saying, there's nothing like you. There's nothing guiding you, God. You alone, like nothing but you, God. You are God. And then we see David's response to that. And this is so humbling. And this is where I really want to focus some time. David's response to that, saying, you know, you are God. You alone are God. And then the very next line, he says, teach me your ways. David's saying, God, may I learn, may you teach, may I learn to be like you. David doesn't just want help from God. He wants to draw near to God and be taught his ways. He wants to be like God. Now, we're not talking like in his divinity. We're not saying he wants to be God, but he wants to be like God in his heart. He wants his character to reflect God. And if we, we kind of think of the whole picture or the context, remember this is a prayer of David asking for help because he's in a pinch, he's in a bind. And in the midst of this, he steps aside from just essentially what sometimes I think I know I would do, or maybe some of us would do, just list all of our needs. And he stops and he, we've got a verse here where he says, you know, whoa, whoa, God, teach me your ways. He says, unite my heart to fear your name. He's responding to God's grace and saying, teach me to be like you, God. I want to know your ways. So I think it's important to bring this back to us now. And I want to ask you the question, do you or do I, do we have a similar response to God's grace? We receive grace through Jesus, which we already talked about. But what does Jesus have to say about us becoming more like him? Because I'm sure you've heard it in the Christian circle or in this church where we, we we say many times that we want to grow to be more like Jesus. And that's a good thing. But what's that mean to be more like Jesus? Well, we have good news. Jesus himself gives us help in that, for answering that question. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to John 15. And we're going to look at Jesus using this, I want to say maybe an analogy or an example here of the vine and the branches. Maybe you've heard it before, the story that Jesus tells. And it's this idea of abiding. And so we want to become more like Jesus. Jesus says, abide in me. So let's read this and let's learn from Jesus. So John 15, verse one. This is the words of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus lays this out so plain and simple. I really appreciate that. He says, I am the vine and and you're, you're the branches. And so we don't Maybe some people grow grapes around here. I don't, we don't see a lot of vines, but we have lots of trees. I mean, we're in northern Wisconsin. We've got trees everywhere. And so we can use the analogy of a tree here, the same picture, where we have the trunk of a tree, then we have branches coming out from the tree, and if you think of, especially this time of year, there's apple trees, fruit trees all around, and they all got fruit hanging from them. Something I think we can all picture, a, a tree, and we can see these branches and we you don't have to be a forestry expert to know that when you cut the branch off of that tree, you, know, you can take that branch and you know, set it in your house. We all know what's going to happen to that branch. It has been cut from the tree. It's been severed from the life-giving nourishment of the trunk of that tree. It's going to die. The fruit's going to wither. It's going to fall off and the leaves are going to fall off and the tree's gonna die. the branch is going to die because it was severed from the life-giving nourishment of the trunk of the tree. Jesus clearly says here, he says I am the bran- I am the vine, you are the branches. So Jesus is giving this picture here that says abide in me, draw near to me, and I will give you that life-giving nourishment that you need to thrive in life and that you can bear fruit. I think that is so so encouraging. So what does it mean to abide? We have to ask that question. Um, I like John Piper's definition of abiding. He says, abiding is believing, trusting, savoring, resting, and receiving Jesus. Having Jesus become part of everything you do. Abiding in Jesus, where he is the sole center of your life. Life is pointless if you are not abiding in Jesus. Did you see the end of verse five? I'll be honest with you, this is like my personal favorite verse. And I'm not just saying that because I'm up here talking about it. Like this is my favorite verse where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I love that verse. If any of you like have like get those bracelets made, the the rubber stretchy ones. Like if somebody wants to like make one of those, um, we we should like spread them across the church here because we all, I know I need that reminder every single day that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Someone, maybe some of our youth. Santa, you want to do that? Figure out how to do that. Let's let's get some of those. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And then by the way, we we don't like want to be harsh up here when we're at the pulpit, but we do need to look at verse 6 because Jesus gives clear instructions about those who do not abide in him. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now that's bad news. But the good news is, is Jesus gives us the solution and Jesus just says, Hey, abide in me, draw near to me. So when we look at David when David is saying, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may be like you, that I may abide in you, it's the same thing that we can see through Jesus. And, and David didn't have Jesus. He knew that a Messiah was coming. But we, have, we are so much in a better place because we are on the other side of Jesus after Jesus came. And we have the fulfilled scripture, the word of God, that we can learn about Jesus. And Jesus is saying, abide. He sent this to every one of us here. He's saying, abide in me, draw near to me, savor me, rest in me. I want to encourage you to do that. As we move forward, though, we have this one last section. And we finally get to know what the issue is. What is David? Why is David praying? Why is David asking God to teach him his ways? And I suppose if you saw when Dwayne read it up on the screen, you kind of like, spoiler alert, you probably know what the issue is. But I'm going I'm to read it to you in verses 14 through 17. So what is David dealing with? Verse 14. Oh god, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life. And they do not set you before them. That's what's going on. There's people, a band, I don't really know like how many people are in a band, but it's definitely, I'd say a few at least, a group, a group of dudes are trying to kill him. That's why David is praying this prayer. That's what's going on. That's the situation at hand. And clearly, they do not know God because he says they do not set you before them. So they're not putting God in his place. They're not worshiping God. They're not believing in God. And they're out to get David. So we finally see what's going on here. David tells the situation. But let's look at the very next verse, verse 15. David says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. David spends one verse talking about his problem. And he immediately, in verse 15, goes right back to, but you, O God. He steps aside from his problem. He goes right back to God. He says, you are merciful and gracious. We see that word grace again. You're gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then he says again, turn to me and be gracious to me. One verse of the situation then goes right back to God. This is who I am. This is who you are. And he's saying, please go before me. Save me. Give me strength. He says, help me. And then finally, the last line, he says, please comfort me. He is asking God to intervene in this situation because he's in a bind. And he spends so much of his time worshiping God and praising God through this. So I have to ask you, have you ever been in a bind? Have we ever been like David, where we're in a pinch? Most likely, I'd like to think that a group of people aren't trying to come kill you. Hope not. Um, But either way, we've all been in a bind. I I know for a fact we've all been in a pinch. And we all have situations or have been in situations where we ask God to intervene. We need God's grace just as David did. We talked about that sustaining grace. We need that sustaining grace just like David. So in this passage, we see David praying for God's intervention and his deliverance from the situation. But let us not lose sight of how much of this prayer is David praising God, thanking God, and even to the point of asking him to work in his heart and change him. So what can we take from this passage, though, to help us in our times of need? I want to let you know we still serve a God who listens to our prayers. When we pray to God, we don't just pray because it's a ritual or because it's a habit or something that we just should do. No, we pray to a listening God, a holy God who loves us, I'm going to do another quote from John Piper. He, de- he defines prayer, and he says, God has established prayer as the means by which we receive His supernatural help. And without supernatural help, we cannot live a life worthy of the gospel. Everything that distinguishes Christians from the world in a Christ-exalting way is a work of God's supernatural grace. And God has ordained that this grace flows to us through prayer. That's why prayer must be central, not peripheral, in our lives, our families, and our ministries. That's the intent of prayer. And I know I am so guilty of this, and maybe some of us are. A lot of times we want to treat God like he's this genie in the bottle, you know, where we just come to him and like, oh God, you know, I'm in this pinch, I'm in this bind, would you please do this? We kind of call on him when we need him. I think this is humorous. Did you know that the number one song right now on country radio is this song called Need a Favor? Like this is current, like right now, this is the song. And the, the starting line of the song is, I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who am I, who am I to expect a savior if I only talk to God when I need a favor? But God, I need a favor. Some of you know what song I'm talking about. That's like, literally, that is the song right now on the radio. I guarantee you, you turn on a country station, sometime by the end of the day, you're going to hear that song. But that is the mentality of so many people. And obviously, we don't listen to the radio for anything biblically based. We know it's secular. But at the end of the day, I think that's some of our hearts. I know that's, I I fall into that many times. And so I want to encourage you that, yes, we do pray. Of course, if we're in a pinch, we, we need to pray. But that's not the only time we pray. And it's not just asking God and treating God like this genie, come help me, God, I need you now. No, as John Piper said, prayer must be central in our lives, our families, and our ministry. Prayer is so much more than just asking God for help. Remember David, in in the midst of David's troubles, he says, teach me your ways. I want to encourage you, when you're in the midst of trouble, to not just focus on the trouble, but focus on who God is and focus on him and asking him to teach you his ways. And I want to let you know that when it comes to God answering your prayers, there's essentially three answers. There's yes, there's no, and then there's wait. God is going to answer you in one of those ways. And I I really want, I want to give you an example though. And we're going to, this is in closing. Here. We're going to wrap up with this. I want to give you like a real-time example of something that I've lived in my life where I've seen God faithfully answer prayer and not in a way that anyone expected. I'm going to be mentioning a family that, um super involved in this church. They have since moved to a different town, but we still see them every once in a while. And they, just great family. And husband and wife, they, they wanted to, conceive children, which is a wonderful thing. They wanted to have a family. And it wasn't happening. And so they would come to our Bible study. And this was probably about 10 years ago, maybe nine years ago. And they'd come Wednesday nights and we'd fellowship together. We'd pray together. And every week we would pray, would you give them children, God? God, would you give them children? And a year would go by and we'd be praying, God, would you give them children? And God was saying, wait. And we didn't have a clue what God was saying. Obviously we didn't know. And of course, there was hurt, there was tears in the midst of that because they wanted kids, and it's a wonderful thing to seek. And of course, you know, we, in our brains, we think that that's God saying no. But it wasn't. God was saying, wait. And we're just going to skip the whole middle section of their life story, we're going to skip to where they are right now. And I want to let you know, they have six adopted children in their family, and within the next month, they're adopting number seven. And these children are so loved and that family is just rich and full of love and so much joy is in that. And God answered their prayer, but he didn't answer it in the way that they had expected. And I actually spoke to the the man and I said, you know, I was just asking him about the situation because I knew I was going to be talking about it. And his exact words, I'm quoting him, he says, it was totally an aspect that you don't realize. And he said, and I learned that this life we live is not in our control. It is in God's control and it's in God's hands. And he said, God is faithful and God does answer prayers, but it might not be how we anticipate it. So that is the God we serve. It's the same God that David was praying to, to deliver him from his situation. And I want to encourage you as you pray to God, I want you to ask God for what you need, but I also want you to ask God to work in your heart. May you seek God from the heart. May you abide in him. May you draw near to Jesus. May you seek him. And I want to encourage us all to ask God to help us to be more like him in his character. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Wow, we are so thankful for your grace. We are so thankful for who you are and how you answer prayers. God, you are faithful to us. You were faithful to David. You're faithful to my friends. You're faithful to all of us here, God. Thank you for being that God. Thank you for loving us. Please give us hearts that just cry out to you, teach me your ways. May we grow to be more like you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you for who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen.